You are listening to a podcast from Influence Church. We hope it encourages and empowers you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Enjoy the message. I'm continuing on in our series in the book of Matthew. I believe this will be the final um, final slot of the of the series. And with that in mind, I am preaching from the first 18 verses of Matthew, which is probably not how it was planned. But um, when I first preached this message in all the other locations, it was far earlier on in the series. So we'll have to do some adjusting in our minds to make everything fit together. But I'm believing today that I've got a word that's going to encourage us and challenge us. Um, There are four Gospels in the Bible, as you'll know if you've been reading your Bible any length of time. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You might not know this, but the word Gospel means good news. So when you open up the the Gospels, you should find things in there that are good, that are nourishing, that are exciting because Jesus came to bring good news. But why, I wonder, do we have four Gospels. I think if we were given the task today of writing a Gospel, we would probably decide that there should be one Gospel to save any confusion. Would you, would you agree? That's probably the approach that we would take. But the Bible has four Gospels because Jesus was born into a world that was diverse culturally. There were lots of different people groups, each with different ways of seeing the world. And each of the four writers, they tell the same one story, but in a way that would be helpful to their particular audience. And I think that tells us something about God, is that he reveals the truth to us in the way that we need to hear it. It's the same truth, but it's presented and packaged for us in a way that's most helpful to us. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience. Mark was writing to a Roman audience. Luke was writing to a Greek audience and, well, scholars are a little bit confused as to exactly who John was writing to. We think he was writing to a bit of everyone, all kind of mixed in together. But each of the Gospels starts in a different way. We'll come on to Matthew in a moment, but John begins with this wonderful poetic language. He says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. You'll have heard that before. Luke, on the other hand, is a medical doctor and he loves detail. His gospel it has the longest word count of, of all the gospels and he tells his writers right at the beginning, his readers, I've carefully investigated everything from the beginning and you believe that he has. He says, I've written an orderly account for you so that you may know with certainty the things that you've been taught. Now Mark He was believed to be in a hurry. He was writing to the Roman leaders and they didn't have a lot of time to read an orderly account like Luke had produced. So Mark just gets straight into it. He says, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now we come to Matthew where we're going to spend our time today. Matthew, as I've said, was writing to a Jewish audience and he starts with a big, long list of names. And I wonder... um, I have a theory that these 18 verses are perhaps the most skipped over verses in the entire New Testament because we look at them and we go, what does this list of names have to offer me? 
But the bigger question, I think, is that why did Matthew feel he needed to start his, his gospel with a big, long list of names? But I have a conviction that every word of Scripture is placed there deliberately and for a purpose and has something to add to us. So we're going to look today at the opening of Matthew's gospel. In, in the NIV, it says, This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A literal translation of Matthew's opening words. It's going to come up on the screen. But it's basically the book of origins of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. If you're looking closely on the screen, you'll see there that the word Genesis appears. In other words, what Matthew's saying is that this is a book of the origins, of the genesis of Jesus. You know, when you look at the Bible, it starts with another genesis, doesn't it? And now we're into the New Testament and Matthew's saying the very first book of the New Testament, this is the genesis, this is the origins of Jesus Christ. He's helping his readers to see how the two stories fit together. I don't know, is there anybody in the room that's a Netflix fan? Anybody like Netflix? Yeah, lots of hands going up across the room. There's other platforms around as well. But when we watch a Netflix series, I think there's two kinds of people when it comes to Netflix series. Those that are like, stay awake till the final moment. And then those like me, who can put something on and then just fall asleep. Any, any sleepers in the room who fall asleep during a TV series or, or something like that and... Um, my wife, Hannah, she gets really frustrated with me for falling asleep. I, I say, no, we're not up to episode five yet. And she says, yes, we are. You fell asleep for the vast majority of episode four. And often I find myself, as we pick up a Netflix series, completely unable to remember what has happened before. And Netflix have cottoned on to this, I believe, because they've got something called the episode recap. The episode recap happens at the start. Who's thankful for the, the episode recap? It just jogs your memory. It just goes, oh yes, I remember about this character. Oh, I remember about this happening. Or sometimes it's like, oh, I don't remember this at all. I definitely was fast asleep. But the episode recap is put in there to kind of, to help you just hold the story together. To, to, so you don't lose track of what's going on. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but sometimes in an episode recap, the, the director will put a scene in that wasn't from the last episode, wasn't even from the one before that. Maybe it was from a, a previous series. Maybe it was from five episodes ago. They just drop something in there to remind you of something that's happened and to prepare you for what's about to happen. You see, this is what I think Matthew is doing in his genealogy. I think he's giving us a bit of an episode recap, telling us what's already happened, and he's preparing our minds for the story that's about to unfold. You see, we have a 400-year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In our Bibles, it's just one blank page, but that's 400 years. I don't know... I just imagine maybe the people back then, they, were, they might have been a little bit confused. They'd heard about a Messiah that was coming. There'd been some people that came and said that they were the Messiah, but it turned out that they weren't. Maybe there was people thinking, have I missed something? Have I fallen asleep somewhere in episode 27? 
How do the pieces of this jigsaw fit together? And Matthew comes along and he's saying to them, I believe here, that you've had season one with 39 episodes, the books of the Old Testament. Season two is coming, 27 episodes coming up. And I'm going to help you link them together. Another way to describe it would be it's like the spine of the book holding all the pages together, linking the story together. So are you ready for the episode recap, for Matthew's episode recap? Now, when I preached this message in Barnard Castle, I gave them the full treatment and we read the entire thing. I'm not going to do that today, you'll be glad to know. But the Matthew gives his genealogy in three blocks of 14. And the first block of 14 is going to come up on the screen. And this shows us from Abraham to David. You, you kind of get the idea. We'll read a few verses of it to give you an idea of how it works. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. And so on and so on. And we have this genealogy that unfolds. Now in these first six verses, we go through the, from Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel in six verses. This is Matthew saying to the Jewish people, look, this is your history. This is the story being linked together for you. The next 14 generations is David, uh, all the way from King David, all the way through to the exile when the people were taken to Babylon. It says, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And it goes all the way down to um, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and, and then the exile to Babylon. You know, in these verses, we've gone through one and two kings and, and one and two chronicles. We've, we've, we're going through the Old Testament. Then we go into the final 14 generations from the exile all the way to the Messiah. It says, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. You, you might recognize some of these names from, from the book of Nehemiah. But we arrive in verse 16 with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. In these verses, we've gone through Ezra. We've gone through Nehemiah. We've gone through some of that 400-year gap that we talked about. Matthew is saying to the people, this is the story of Jesus. This is the origin of Jesus. This is how the old and the new link together. It's, it's not two separate stories. It's one story with a, a flow that goes all the way through. He's saying to the people that, that this Jesus, the Messiah, he comes from you. This is where he's come from. He's not just come from you, but he's also come from heaven and he's come to you with a specific purpose. See, in Matthew's recap, I think he has a few lessons that he wants us to get right at the start of the New Testament. You see, this is not just the start of his gospel. This is the start of the, the whole of the New Testament. I think there's some things in here that we can take hold of today. Things that we should have in mind as we watch the next season, if you like. You see, writers of genealogies, they were concerned with prestige. They were concerned with pedigree. And they were concerned with purity of line. Now, if we were going to talk today about 
the genealogies or the backgrounds of people in this room, I would hazard a guess that we would like to draw attention to the, the more impressive parts of our family tree. And maybe we would just kind of not mention or, or blur the lines around some of the more, more unimpressive parts that I'm sure all of our family trees have within them. But you see, for Matthew, this was an opportunity to grandstand, to impress, to name drop. This was an opportunity to pull out all of the best bits from the people's history and present Jesus as the culmination of of a really, really impressive list of righteous ancestors. But you see, Matthew, he, he didn't follow the convention. You see, Matthew went out of his way to break with convention. And when someone does that, you've got to ask yourself the question, what is the point that they are trying to make? You see, in the Old Testament, in the Old, sorry, in the Bible times, they didn't put women in the genealogies. Yet Matthew does put women in the genealogy. That's an interesting point of note. You see, Matthew didn't have to add little notes in there, but throughout, you'll, you might have noticed that Matthew adds some little explanatory notes throughout just to point people's attentions to, to some things. If one, one of these is when he talks about Judah. He says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah. Now, he could have stopped there, but he comes in with this little line whose, whose mother was Tamar. And we'll do the PG version of this today. But um, the brief story was, of this was that Tamar married Judah's son, the first son, who was called Ur, and Ur died. Then he married his second son, who was called Onan, and Onan was also, let's say, unable to provide her with a son, and he died. And Tamar, the Bible tells us in Genesis 38, dressed like a prostitute and slept with Judah, who was his father-in-law. Now that is a promise, the PG version. So that's there in, in the genealogy of Jesus. Matthew didn't need to put it in there, but he, he, he fitted it in. We have Solomon, verse 5, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. You can read Rahab's story in Joshua. She was, for all intents and purposes, a pagan lady, widely considered to be a prostitute. She provided hospitality to the spies in Jericho. She was fused into the story of God. We have in, also in verse 5, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite lady. The Moabites were a pagan nation. They were hated and detested by the people of Israel. But Ruth, her story, you can read it in her own book in the Old Testament, but it was an amazing story. And she's fused into the genealogy of Jesus. Then we have David. You know, all of the amazing things that could, could be said in a little side note about King David. It says, King David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You know, remember the stories that you've been told about the year that David didn't go to war? Bathsheba was a, a married woman. David saw her bathing on the roof. And David caught her eye and he sends his men to go and pick her up. He sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. It doesn't sound like she had much choice in the matter. You know, this was a great abuse of power, but it got worse. You see, to cover up his sin, David arranged in a really nasty, brutal way for Uriah, um, Bathsheba's husband and his friend to be killed on the battlefield. 
Add to this countless generations of evil kings who didn't follow the ways of God. So Matthew's job, if you like, Matthew's what would have been expected of him would be to provide a genealogy that showed prestige, that showed pedigree, that showed purity. But it seems like Matthew's goal was to show all of the scandals that he could possibly draw out. And I wonder, is, is he doing this right at the start of the New Testament to remind people what I'm going to put across to you today as our first lesson is that it's not about where you're from or how good you've been. You see, he was writing to a people who were proud of their past and their heritage. And there's nothing wrong of being proud of your past, proud of your heritage. But it can be so easy to put our trust in the wrong things. To rely on our own achievements, to rely on our own pedigree, to rely on our own righteousness and to kind of stand there before God and to say that I am good because of all of the things I've done. I'm complete by myself and I don't need anything to come in and help me and make me complete. I am, I am the real deal all by myself. And that would have been the temptation of a proud people. And Matthew perhaps is just pointing out to them, remember your past. You've got some warts in your past. You've got some scandal in your past. You, you, this is not, Jesus coming is not as a result of how good you've been. Jesus coming is as, as a result of how not good you've been. And could we today maybe be like those people that want to stand on our own pedigree? Maybe we'll say things like, I've been going to church my whole life. Or maybe we'll say, I've served on the kids team for absolutely ages. Maybe we might say, my dad was a Christian. Or I took my kids to church because I thought it would be good for them. Or, or my nan used to go to church. Or, or some, something people say quite a lot is, we don't go to church, but, but we're good people. Could it be that the thing we sometimes try and rely upon is not actually that strong at all. An 18th century hymn by Edward Mote, it has been made into um, a modern song as well, but it says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly trust in Jesus' name. The sweetest frame, it means, in other words, the best person you could find. You know, it's, a, it's a saying, I, I can't trust in man, I can't trust in my achievements, but I need to wholly trust in Jesus' name. Matthew's saying to these people, remember where you've come from. Remember your past. You know, if you think you deserve this, here's 42 generations of proof that you don't. That he's come because of the grace of God, not because of the achievement of man. And in case this is making you think that, man, this is hard, this is, it's too late for me, I want to bring you on to my second lesson, which is this, that God redeems broken people. You see, this genealogy is a list of the kind of people, the kind of scandal, the kind of chaos that Jesus comes to redeem. You see, the story of the gospel, as I said at the start, it, it's good news. It's good news for broken people. 
You know, if the first lesson is that we shouldn't proudly include ourselves in the story because of our achievements or our virtues or where we've come from, then this lesson is that we shouldn't disqualify ourselves from the story of God because of our brokenness and our failures. You know, sometimes when we walk into a church building, I think Pastor Ben kind of touched on it earlier, sometimes we can put up um, a mask, we, we can put up a front as, as though we have to put on our best face and, and we don't really let people see the real, uh, the real us or the, the person that's beneath the mask or beneath the veneer. You know, God can deal with you and God can work in your life irrespective of where you've been, what you've done or whatever kind of brokenness you've got. There's no need in the presence of God to put up a mask. The only, the only um, thing that's doing is preventing uh, you from positioning yourself into a place where God can work and transform your life. Sometimes we have to say before God that I'm willing to show him the real me, the real me, what's and all, uh, messes and all, so that he can really come and work in our lives. You know, when we're talking about this, we're in good company. When you look through the Old Testament, you, you see all kinds of people. You look at um, Abraham. He was old when the promise of God came to him. There were so many things that went against him. Elijah experienced times when he was suicidal. Joseph was, was abused and thrown into a pit. Uh, Job was bankrupt. Moses had a speech problem. Gideon was a, afraid. There's so many other stories in the Old Testament. Uh, Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. The, the Samaritan woman was, was divorced many times. Noah, the, the Bible tells us that the occasion was a drunk. Jeremiah was young. Uh, Jacob was a cheater. David was a murderer. Jonah ran from God. Uh, Peter denied Christ three times. Uh, Martha, we're told, worried about everything. Uh, Zacchaeus was, was too small and he was money hungry. The disciples, they fell asleep at the wrong times when they were meant to be praying. Look at the Apostle Paul, was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians before coming one. Yet all of those people were used by God for amazing things. We serve a God who redeems brokenness. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15 says this, this is Paul, he's saying, here is a trustworthy saying that requires or deserves full acceptance. And I think what this means is that the saying that I'm about to read, if, if it deserves full acceptance, then it's something that we can all accept as being true for ourselves. This is what he said. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I just love that. Um, it's a trustworthy saying. But when we become Christians, we are included in the story. We welcome a God into our lives that works in all of our messes and all of the issues that, that we bring. You know, the, the Christian story, the, the gospel, it's the great leveler. It brings us all together, irrespective. Not because of our virtue, not because of our achievements, but because of Jesus. Moving on to our third and final lesson is this, that God has been, is, and will be faithful to his promises. You know, times will come in our lives when we, we may ask God, God, where are you in this situation? Times might come in our lives when it feels a little bit dark, 
Maybe when the storms rage. Maybe we've prayed a prayer and we haven't seen the answer that we were hoping to see quite in the time scale that we were hoping to see it. There'll be times that will come where we say, come on God, I need a miracle. Come on God, can you move for me? And I love that here we see 42 generations of highs and lows. Amazing highs, but real, real lows. We see times when the nation was in slavery, times when the nation was in exile, times when the nation was in crisis, times when they were in the wilderness, times when they were in all kinds of moral chaos. You know, and what we see throughout this story is that we see that there are consequences of humanity's actions. But what I see throughout this story is that nothing that man did, nothing that humankind did, stopped God from being faithful to his promises overall. Nothing that we can do can stop him from moving. You know, the main overarching story of the, of the Bible even the history of the church is not faithful men and women, although faithful men and women do play their part for sure. But they are not the overarching story. The overarching story is that we serve a faithful God. Faithful from generation to generation to generation. I think it's so key that, that Matthew starts his genealogy with Abraham. Remember some of the words that God spoke to Abraham thousands of years before, but we are living in the fulfillment of that today. He said, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He said to him, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. You know, that promise was ricocheting down the corridors of time through those 42 generations. You know, when the exile came, I'm sure the people were kind of doubting a little bit. But when Jesus was born, this, he was the fulfillment of the promise spoken to Abraham. 42 generations of faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 7. God was talking to the, the Israelites. He says in verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Just think Matthew is trying to, he's setting up the New Testament. He's reminding people the faithfulness that God has had and raising the expectation in them that the God who has been faithful to this point will be faithful going forward and into the future. He's a faithful God. And, you know, as we have over the last month opened up the pages of Matthew, as we have started getting into the, the New Testament, you know, as we have kind of flicked that page from the old to the new, I just believe that we should, as a people, expect that same faithfulness that God has shown through all of those generations to be so evident in our lives. As we wake up each morning, 
I can say to God, God, this is a new day. I'm expectant that I'm going to walk in your faithfulness and your goodness, that we will continue all the days of our lives to see the faithfulness of God. It's like, yes, we will go through highs. Yes, we will go through lows. There will be times where we, where we say, God, where are you? But I hope what this story has shown us today is that we serve a faithful God who never leaves us nor forsakes us. I just want to invite you across the room to just stand to your feet. I just want to pray over us as we kind of come to a close. God, we thank you today that you, in a world of unfaithfulness, in a world that at times feels fragile and, and flimsy and unsure, God, we thank you that we serve a faithful God. Thank you, God, that we are part of a, a story, not of our own achievements, God, but a story of how a loving, gracious, faithful God reached down into our brokenness, into our scandal, and said that that doesn't disqualify you from being part of the plan God has. So God, we thank you this morning that you've included us in your plan. God, we thank you that we are not excluded by anything that we might have done. But God, we thank you so, so much that we can today stand firm on your faithfulness. God, we love you this morning. We worship you and we give you praise for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Influence Church. For any more information, visit our website, influencechurch.co.uk. Influence Church, empowering you to make a difference in your world for the kingdom of God.